for June 1st, 2009. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 48. One word. Plastics. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. I'm your host tonight, Matthew Rather, and I am here with the panel. We're going to launch right into it with the question, what was your favorite animated movie as a child? Uh, In honor of the release of Pixar's Up this weekend, what was your go-to Betamax or VHS tape? Well, did you have VHS? We had Betamax and then VHS, but maybe that was... Maybe that was just us. Maybe we just, Dance. you know. Well, yeah, we. we <laughs> I was about to say the uh, we threw our lot in with the loser technology originally, <laughs> and then uh, and then did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, first in alphabetical order, it is Matthew Belinky. Welcome back to the podcast. It's been a while since we've had you. It's good to good to be back. Um, so so I, what I, have I, you? I was not as cool as you. I didn't have Betamax. What uh, what have you been doing? Uh, nothing that interesting. I wish that I had uh, some story to tell you all about what I've been spending my Sunday nights doing, but it's either like uh, doing the things I should have done earlier in the weekend for Monday morning, or uh, for instance, helping my sister move. Although that's only an excuse that worked for one weekend every month or so. Mm-hmm. Um, so nothing that interesting. Well, oh, she's peripatetic, your sister. She doesn't, you know, she, she's got to keep moving or she'll die. She's like a shark. <laughs> uh, or, or favorite... Favorite childhood animated movie? You know what? Uh, I'm probably the only person on the podcast who's going to say this, but I'm going to go with The Great Mouse Detective. Ooh. I haven't even heard of it. It was one of those... That's a good one. uh, Disney actually did make animated films in the 80s before The Little Mermaid. They didn't just wait till 1989 to make The Little Mermaid. And they they were sort of like warming up. That was like when Disney animated films, they were sort of low budgets. And they were, you know, they didn't really expect to even make a lot of money off of them. Before Michael Eisner came and decided, we're going to put a lot of money and effort into these and make them big event pictures for families. Um, But The Great Mouse Detective is fun. It's it's Disney's take on Sherlock Holmes. And it's it's about, you know, as, as depicted in The Rescuer, how there's this whole mouse world that's sort of like a parallel bizarre world to our own that the sort of beneath the UN, there's sort of a mouse UN. Well, apparently beneath, uh, like, what is it, 221B Baker Street is his yeah. address. Uh, did I remember that? Did I pull that out of nowhere? No, that's right. I think. Yes. yes. All right. <laughs> apparently beneath 221 Baker Street, there's the most brilliant mouse in the world who actually does run a detective agency, and there's like a mouse Watson. His name too. was, his name was, oh, I thought his name was Basil. Yeah, I'm sorry. You know what? I think for, I'm going to guess probably copyright reasons, is Sherlock Holmes public domain? Uh, yes. So maybe for no, I don't know, for, for reasons known only to the creators, he is known as Basil of Baker Street, and his assistant is not Watson, but uh, Dorson. Huh. Uh, yeah, anyway. so Matt, Matt. Well, you know what? Like, Disney probably wanted characters that they could copyright because that has been their that has been their strategy is to like own the intellectual property and then to merchandise the hell out of <laughs> and it. And I'm sure they've they've sold so many Basil Baker Street uh, plush dolls. Yeah, but they could have. You know, you you, you don't know yeah, really sure, what's going to hit. Now, now I'm not crazy. They re-released that movie later on, right? I think I, they did. I don't know the chronology of it, but they thought it was worth um, rolling out again. There, there are. Some notable thing. Uh, one of uh, Vincent Price's final performances as the voice of uh, the villain, the sort of Moriarty uh, mouse. Of course, he's be- being a rat. 
because as we know from from many and not not just from disney things but because in american tale this is too this is true as well the the arch enemies of the mouse of the, of the mouse world are rats who are invariably evil mm. sheep go to heaven um, and goats go to hell and um yeah and and i think that that for those of you who are um who are big dorks uh basil rathbone who did the voice of Sherlock Holmes? Who, no, who who was Sherlock Holmes in all the old like nineteen forties Sherlock Holmes uh, features? Actually, like a very elderly uh, provides the voice of Sherlock Holmes in like one scene where the where the people are actually walking out of two two one Baker Street above the mice, and I don't know. It's kind of a, it's kind of a thrill if you're a huge geek, mm-hmm. like a really huge geek. That <laughs> was pretty interesting. Uh, Peter Fenzel. Yo, yo, yo. How's What's it going, up? man? How are you? Go- I'm great. You want me to tell you what my horoscope was today? I'll tell you my horoscope. I absolutely from- do. Actually, it says, you will be building your fan base without even knowing it. You do what comes <laughs> naturally, and it just so happens that others will gather to take a peek. So I think this is very encouraging for the health of our podcast, and I thank all of you for paying attention to the influences of the heavenly bodies and coming here to listen to the podcast today. Awesome. <laughs> um, now, of course, I as was though they, huge... As though they could resist. That's true. The force of nature and, and the force of our charisma are together they'll defeat any saving throw hey we combined (laughs) our we combined our heavenly body let's just put it that way very true very true um so to answer the question you want me to hit that question as well hit the question yo all right now i was a huge ninja turtles fan when i was a kid but of course all of the really solid ninja turtle movies from our childhood were real uh, real life live action puppet movies um so i also have four younger sisters and so i watched the heck out of things like little mermaid and stuff like that but definitely my favorite was an american tale i mean i really love that matt's already mentioned it and i was a huge fan of that movie you know i grew up in new jersey and uh you know the mythology and history of new york was always big with me and you know you gotta love Peebo bryson and and everything about that movie was is great so i'm a huge fan you do have to love peebo bryson <laughs> it's a it's the law it's it's the law it's also the i think it's the best don booth movie um <laughs> i don't know i mean you know it's better than uh you know anastasia <laughs> well although all dogs go to heaven was a uh, definitely screwed me up when i watched it so as did secret of nim fair enough Oh, I did Speak- love Fox and the Hound, though. Yeah, no, Fox and the Hound. <laughs> that was another one of those kind of lesser Disney animated movies from the 80s. Yeah, Bluth was on that one before he went on and did his own thing. Uh, Mark Lee. You uh, mentioned it earlier there, Fenzel. My pick was uh, Secret of Nim, actually. Another, <gasps> another animated movie featuring rodents, right? I think we're all on the same thing <laughs> here. Um, book, obviously, the, the Miss, Mrs., I think Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim was the book it was based on, right? Anybody? Uh, yeah, um, it might not have been frisbee, but something like that. Yeah, yeah. I am th- th- obviously, obviously, the, the book was the book was better, but um, the movie. Uh, I don't know if anybody else remembers. There is like a really nice song at the end, which um, I'm, I'm sure as hell I'm not going to sing it now. But um, uh, you know, it was not like a uh, uh, you know a, a musical animated movie along the lines of like The Lion King or something like that. But uh, there's such a nice song if you if you just do a YouTube search of uh, you know Rats of Nim, I'm sure you'll find it. But I'm not quite done yet. Now, that is, for the most part, my, my pick. But I got to give a only slightly flame baitish aside and also say that, for some reason, I strongly remember growing up uh, that uh, The Song of the South was an <laughs> animated movie, which I uh, remember strongly. And for those <laughs> podcast listeners who aren't aware of this, I did grow up in Alabama. 
and I am Asian American. <laughs> uh right. so you know there's a very strange conflux of uh conflux of of race and popular culture and geography and ancestry and all these things coming together and it sounds like zippity doo zippity day <laughs> my oh my what a wonderful day so that's all i have to say about that everything is satisfactual with mark lee uh john Hey, Woot, (laughs) holler. (laughs) Uh, Favorite animated movie, John? Favorite animated movie? uh, Definitely Transformers the movie. Uh, It was, I mean, it was was such a remarkable and abrupt change from the the tone of the animated series up to that point. Because, you know, it's like, oh, you know, it's, it's it's children's action adventure in the 80s, you know sell the toys, whatever. And then the first 20 minutes of Transformers, the movie, like 15 characters get offed at the drop of a hat. Like not even, not even in some sort of dramatic tension, like, Oh no jazz. It's just, you know, they all get gunned down. Like they, they go out like Scarface in the back of a spaceship. Uh, and then there's more. It's, it's just really phenomenal. Excellent. Way to to spoil that, uh, John. Spoiler alert! Like Jazz totally gets shot by the by the Decepticon. <laughs> Racist. <laughs> you about to go out like Scarface. You wake <laughs> up in an Optimus Prime with no space. And I I am going to take the prerogative of having two: uh, one on Betamax and one on VHS. <laughs> <laughs> That's cheating. <laughs> the wow. be- the Betamax tape that I watched over and over again was Disney's. Uh, Robin Hood, which had uh, it had foxes as Robin and Maid Marian, uh, probably because they're crafty. I think that Friar Tuck was a large bear, and um, and uh, oh, he was a big cat. Uh, King, what king? King John, right? Prince John, yes, yeah. Prince, Prince John, John. It was, it was a, a tiger of sorts. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, and then on. Um, on uh, VHS, it was 101 Dalmatians for sure. <laughs> but the um, the like, I'm looking. Uh, I'm looking. Okay, so Disney animated movies, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I should say now that now that we're all introduced, uh, you you uh, our listener are like the sixth podcaster on this podcast. So if you have something to say, write at podcast at overthinkingit.com. Call the voicemail at 20 eat log. Zero one. That's two eight three two eight five two zero three two eight five six four zero one. Leave a comment on the show notes for this episode, uh, or use the contact form. Actually, people have been using the contact form. That's fine too. However you want, just get your message in. Uh, make sure to tell us your name, where you're writing in from, and uh, give us your exact latitude and longitude. We will take. Uh, we will we take. We promise not to show up at your front door. Yeah, exactly. We will... I make no such assurances. <laughs> We will take the latitude and longitude as a decimal number, but we prefer degrees, minutes, and seconds. Uh, we prefer that way. Old school. Yeah, old school. Of latitude and longitude really only narrows it down to like you know a couple square blocks, so we couldn't possibly find you anyway. So. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess it depends how precise you get with the the latitude and the longitude. And if you want to email us your address, by all means, go ahead. Right. I mean, in that case, we promise that we will show up at your door. 
I actually I make I, no such assurances. <laughs> I may I'm be tied down. No entangling alliances. That's what George Washington told me. <laughs> I may be driving across the country later this summer, so <laughs> I need places to crash. Um, so okay, so uh, please, 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 we love it when uh, our listeners write back to us, and we have uh, some listener mail to get to in a little bit. Uh, but look, okay, so here's uh, here's the list of Disney movies, and I'm just going to read these out, and um, you, you know. Not all of these are classics. Not all of these are very good, even. So, Snow White, the first one, Pinocchio, Fantasia, Dumbo, Bambi. Classic, 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 classic. Saludos, amigos. The Three <laughs> Caballeros. <laughs> I love that one. Make my music. Fun and fancy free. Melody time. The adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. You get those six before you get to another run. Uh, another really good run. Cinderella, Alice in Wonderland, Peter Pan, Lady and the Tramp, Sleeping Beauty, 101 Dalmatians, Sword in the Stone, a lesser work but still a classic. Jungle Book, again, lesser work but still a cra- classic. Uh, the Underappreciated Aristocats and Robin Hood. The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, The Rescuers, Fox and the Hound, Black Cauldron, Great Mouse Detective, Oliver <clears throat> and Company. Then, right, then you get into the Eisner the sort of uh, the Eisner's reign, right? Like uh, uh, Little Mermaid, The Rescuers Down Under, which probably was already in the pipeline, right? Pre-Little Mermaid, because that yeah. was just not of the same caliber as Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Lion King, Pocahontas. Eh, eh, we probably split on Pocahontas. Hunchback, uh, Hercules, Mulan, Tarzan, Fantasia 2000, boo. Emperor's New Groove, boo. Atlantis, boo. Lilo and Stitch, boo. Boo. Treasure Planet, boo. Brother Bear, boo. Home on the Range. Wow, this is you're really... Booing ba- of, you're booing a lot of movies. I'm not sure I agree with all those boos, but go on. Well, what did you the like? Did you like? I like. I, like, I happen to like Fantasia 2000. I think there's a lot of really impressive stuff there. Wow. Uh, uh, no? I'm, I'm sorry. I, I probably shouldn't. I probably shouldn't have just like jumped and and uh, and crapped all over that. But I mean, there is a lot of critical acclaim for movies like uh, Lilo and Stitch and The Emperor's New Groove, for instance. Like no, people, The Emperor's New Groove is funny. Like I mean, like yeah, it's, it not, it's not great, but I mean, like it's very entertaining. You know, children's family entertainment. It's significantly better than Home on the Range, for one. Nobody thing. else likes Fantasia 2000, really. Or Brother no, I or like Brother Fantasia 2000. We got, that you know, that, that Rhapsody in Blue on that, that's Hirschfeld. I mean, that's beautiful stuff. The whales, right? The whales, The, right? the whales are beautiful. There's a very impressive uh, rite of spring with the volcano exploding and, like, you know, eradicating a whole forest. I mean, it's, it's cool animation. I don't know. It scares the hell out of Oliver. I got a three-year-old, and he, he – even the stuff that's not supposed to be scary. Even, like, uh, Beethoven's uh, Fifth – that uh, it's it's not all this Beethoven's sort of, second. That's different. No, it's uh, it's all. <laughs> yeah, no, that that I'm sure he'd love that one. We leave the that's laughing a, that's in the podcast, puppies, right? We don't. Yeah, but you know, like, look, I think that there's something. Even if Emperor's New Groove is good, there was something about Aladdin that was transcendent in a way, right? And it just, I think, that, I think lately, all that that kind of transcendent quality of of those animated movies that just are awesome has really been, that mantle has been uh, taken up by Pixar, right? 
Yeah, I, mean, I don't think I don't think anyone would disagree that like you know Pixar is is doing the work that Disney used to do. Yeah, and I, mean, been- I, I also I also almost think that it's impossible to capture that sense of transcendence because like when Disney regrouped and came out with the Little Mermaid and especially with Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin, like nobody had really in that generation had seen like animation of that quality. The the and the songs were like I mean those are amazing scores, you know. I mean like any one of those you know, could could be like Broadway show quality scores. In fact, our Broadway show quality scores now. Yeah, for and sure. I think I think I think that like, you know, it's hard to you know, I, I I think one thing that's worth pointing out is that Beauty and the Beast was nominated for Best Picture. And it's not that like, you know, the work that Pixar is doing is every bit as impressive as Beauty and the Beast. It's just that Beauty and the Beast was so far above animation any animation that had come out in the past bunch of decades that like it's sort of you know the bar was lower i'm gonna say hmm. Makes you sense, know yeah. it, it, like and i'm i'm looking at these and they weren't uh well no lady and the tramp was they weren't musicals in in the way that we think of of disney movies being musicals the way that like little mermaid and lion king are musicals where the plot is really just hung between the songs, uh, but they were they were more like movies with the occasional song, right? Like Snow White has a couple songs in it, though it's not it's not a musical in quite the same way. Bambi, not a musical in quite the same yeah. way. Cinderella, same you know same thing, though it has some numbers in it. Bippity boppity boo, for example. We can do <laughs> it. We can do it. Make the dress for Cinderella. Alice in Wonderland. Right. They were more live action I, movies. They were more sort of that kind of old style entertainment where you, um, you know, where there's some singing, some dancing, some jokes, you know. Uh, right. Like, like Sleep, Sleeping Beauty has like the one song. Like it's, it's almost like, as, as was the style of a lot of movies back in the day, I think, don't forget that like a lot of adult entertainment, they would work in a song somewhere. Mm. Into yeah, the, I, into I, the I sort of, I miss that. Like, the you know I, yeah I, back, back in the day when, when the song category in the Academy Awards that song had a place in the movie that one of the actors would sing it you know that the, the woman would be like a cabaret singer or like they would go to a show and see a song yeah and it's I guess that function has gotten taken up lately with what's called music supervision right when like T Bone Burnett you know gets a great soundtrack of Appalachian Appalachian greatest hits. You know, in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? So it's not like they're singing a song. Well, actually, no. In Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? They do sing a song, right? They sing Man of Constant Sorrow two or three times. Well, it's a shame Jordan isn't here because Jordan, of of course, specializes in this stuff and would just love to talk about it, right? Like movie music and music history and and all that uh, stuff. You know, let's bracket the the conversation until he can can get it. Or Jordan, if you're you're listening to the episode, you know, get on. Get away from the risotto. Come help us. Uh, yeah, no, I made a risotto earlier tonight, but I had the good taste to finish it before I started podcasting. You ate the whole thing. Unintended. (laughs) (laughs) Delicious. Delicious. Um, so, uh, Alexander from Puyallup, Puyallup, I don't know, Washington. Pileup. Pileup? Pileup, really? Like, like pileup, like what cars do, but like stretched out a little, like pileup. Pileup. Also, uh, I could be completely wrong. Right, uh, right. <laughs> That's in. never the case. Alexander from Pileup, uh, thanks for writing in. He says, hey, overthinking it. Two weeks ago, you were talking about college graduates. 
uh, about your opinions on facing the real world and whatnot. I, I, I object to real world used in this, in this context. It's like the world doesn't become more real, ontologically speaking, when you graduate. But uh, I digress, <laughs> Alexander. Let's, let's continue. I'm a freshman in college, and I was wondering what opinions you could give to in-college students. I'm also shooting for a BA in English. Woohoo! Is there any real use for this degree? Okay, so three English BAs on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> Belinky is a humanities BA, which is like it's, English. Which is worse. Yeah, which is worse. I, I look up to you guys. <laughs> and, uh, how the world has turned. And Lee is. Uh, I mean, Mark has a has a BA in history, which is still a humanity. Right, marginally, yeah, better than the ghetto that is English. <laughs> I guess so. We had excellent tweedy, tweedy jackets with a lot of like leather patches on the on the elbows and things, uh, yes. things you, like this. You, you folks read you read imaginary books about you know made up tales and things. I read about. I read in scare quotes uh, about real stuff. Now, uh, Alexander uh, writes in. Uh, he says, oh, he gives us decimal values. So his uh, latitude is 47.185 <laughs> north, and his longitude is negative uh, 122.291 west. Hey, Alexander, when you say west, you don't need to specify negative because west is negative. So uh, 47.185 north by 122.291 west. So, uh, yes, open to the floor. Advice to students in college. Um, well, I guess there's a myth that says that you can't get a job with an English degree. And I would say that this is false. But one thing that is true is that the job you get with an English degree is probably not going to be a job that you know exists prior to going to college. Because those of us with English degrees who work in sort of businesses and in technology companies, we tend to be pretty far behind the scenes. Um, and we're doing our job well if you don't know that we're there. Um, you know, plugging away, improving upon how things are right, written, you know, working on communication strategies and things like that. Um, you know, and then, of course, there's the stuff like academia and writing. Or, you know, you could start a, a successful and excellent blog where you and all of your sexy friends attract the attention of wonderful people around the country who download your podcast and give you five stars on iTunes. Around awesome. the country and world. And world, that's true. We, um, uh, oh, what did we do? We had an Australian reader write in last week, right? Yes, from all over the English world. Yeah, I mean, you, every company needs writers um, they, they, because people can't write. <laughs> so there's definitely hope. I mean, I'd, I know say, John... I'd say this, though. Like, let go of the idea that what you study in college necessarily bears at all on what you, uh, on, on what you will make your living doing after college. Absolutely. That's true. Yeah, uh, the only piece of advice – sorry, John, so, but just real quickly. The only piece of advice that I – can give in this, not necessarily on English degrees in particular, but kind of just in terms of how one spends one's formative college educational years, is use that time to figure out types of things you like to do. Not really about subject areas of interest, like, you know, like Matt's, you know, great found out that, you know, 14th century devotional poetry is his area of expertise. Um, is that correct, Matt? Yeah, no, that is. Like, insofar I as it. I specialized in anything, uh, in college, it was in right. late 14th century English devotional poetry. Right. And so, you know, mine was on, you know, Korean-American uh, Cold War historical relations, right? These things were, you know, subject matter 
interest to us, but clearly neither of us are, you know, pursuing either of those as professions or making money. What I would, Matt, and just using, keep using your example, and I, what we, you know, spent time doing in college was, you know, uh, you know, finding out the types of things that we like to do for, you know, the types of activities, skills, for lack of a better word, like messing with computers, uh, making music, uh, organizing people, these kinds of things. You know, I, th- I think function, I think task instead of subject matter. And subject matter is a thing that people dwell on so much, uh, you know, because that, that's all you have in, in college. You have subjects, right? Those are subject matter things, political science, biology, Etc. And you don't. There's not enough time spent on thinking about function and task and learning those things and learning what you like to do. So that's my piece of advice. That's good advice. That's very good advice. That's very very good. Yeah. Um, both both Pete and Mark's advice has been has been very good and largely echoes what I would say. So I will I will tailor it to one thing specifically, Alexander, on the presumption that you enlisted as an English major in the in the hopes of, of pursuing a career in writing. I would guess, like you know, you have you have hopes either be a a journalist or a a technical writer or a fiction or nonfiction writer in some sense. In that case, I would say that the work you do as an English major will, at least from my experience, not contribute much to your uh, success as a writer. It it just really didn't help. The kind of writing I did in pursuing an English degree has almost no impact on a the writing I do in business now. Or B, the writing I do in my spare time, either for overthinking it or on my own blog or the experiments I make in fiction. John, plug your blog. Plug it. Plug it. It's a good good blog. It's a good blog. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. absolutely. It is a good, as as you would expect from any writer on overthinking it, that his personal blog is excellent as well. We we all produce quality product. uh, (laughs) we, We don't need to... Use this as a marketing opportunity to check out my my fascinating personal blog, uh, <laughs> periscopedepth.wordpress.com. Uh, updates five days a week, regularly at about seven a.m. Eastern Standard Time. But that's that's neither here nor there. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what yeah. time was that again? <laughs> <laughs> the, Do I know to click refresh? <laughs> yeah. The uh, the important thing. Uh, the important thing is the kind of writing you'll do in getting an English major. The kind of essays you'll write on. These weird, deeply, deeply intricate takes on classic literature and things like that has almost, I hesitate to say no practical use in the real world, but it's a podcast and I can get away with hyperbole. So I'm going to say no practical use in the real world. <laughs> right. Uh, it, will, it will not make you a better novelist or a better memoirist or a better journalist. It, it won't make you better at anything except say, pursuing an English master's degree or someday entering academia. So uh, the, the, chief advantage, the chief advantage I found in, in keeping an English degree, at least as far as becoming a writer, is it exposed me to a lot, of different, a lot of different texts, a lot of different sources. I read a lot of things in getting an English degree that I would not have read otherwise, and that has definitely enriched me. But as for the actual writing practice, not as much. So... Take the opportunity to, I mean, read everything that's assigned to you, uh, read things that aren't assigned to you, and network with all your professors and TAs because they're also, you know, writing-related people, and they can, they can help you out later, later on. Like, I, I was at a conference, a writing conference uh, in Boston about a month ago, and one of my professors whom I'd taken two classes with was giving a, a lecture on on aspects of nonfiction writing, so I got to chat him up a bit, and he remembered me, and that was cool. So that definitely helps. So network and read a lot, 
but don't expect to become a better writer by the classes you take. Uh, that's my advice. Hey, Belinky, you want to jump in? Jesus, this is hard. Um, okay, um, you should learn to drink. You know, uh, <laughs> not, not, not that you, I'm saying that you should get drunk all the time, but you should be able to like go out and enjoy a nice night of drinking and get to an appropriate level of drunkenness to the evening and then like learn to recover from it in a graceful fashion. So like learn to, learn to hold some liquor, learn a few drinks that, that you like to drink. So you know what to order in that case. Um, Continue to overextend yourself until you fail at something. Though, if you are, uh, I feel like it's. I feel wait, like wait, it's oh my god, there. that was like that was profundity there. I was gonna what? make a joke about the drinking oh, no, thing, go but ahead, like, go ahead and make a joke. I'm more interested in that. <laughs> <laughs> the um, yeah, unless you are, you know, the one in ten person uh, in uh, in humanity who is uh, actually addicted to alcohol or prone to be addicted to alcohol, you, uh, you really should learn to drink. Like it's, you know, it's totally important, but you're a freshman. At least that's what your email says. So don't like when you go out drinking with a fake ID, don't order like a Midori sour or something like that. <laughs> right. You have to order bourbon, or, you know, I guess you can get away with beer. Beer is like, uh, it, it's on the bubble whether, whether you'll get ID'd or not. But you need to order like a solid drink, like, like uh, Doers on the Rocks or something, where you have to make, make the impression, uh, give the impression that you drink so much that like you don't even you don't even care about the good stuff anymore you know that that uh <laughs> that that's when you're when you're drinking on a fake id but this this idea of like fail at something like do something yeah, no, and, I, and, and I, do- I like that that i think college is a good place because like let, let, let's get real there aren't really many consequences for what you do that like the worst thing that'll happen you'll go talk to your academic advisor and everything will be fine <laughs> but so i'm just like like this is the time to I'm not saying fail on purpose, but like I assume that, that you all are familiar with the Kobayashi Maru. You should feel like what it's like when you're way out of your league and you have to like scramble and then like you know and, and then and then you really can't do something. Just so like you you know that the world doesn't end when like, you know because I don't know, you might be some sort of a hotshot who's like, you know, always I don't know. It, it's, I'm just saying it's a good time to fail. You should try I mean, it. Matt, he, find out he's, listen, bad he's, he's listening to the Overthinking It podcast. So, I mean, given our demographics, he's almost certainly in the top 10% of whatever whatever quick, whatever quick demographic he'd be in. Yeah, yeah. Academic institution. So, oh, yeah. Alexa- uh, so Alexander, yeah. I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you a little bit about the spelling and grammar issues. You can email me personally about, about, this, about this email. Um, and, and wait, wait, no, I, I got to, uh, should, should we get off this topic? Because now, now I'm, I'm remembering things about college. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, go, I do. but I want. Can I get? Can I give mine, and then maybe we can do another round. Yeah, yeah, go, go, go on. On. And I do um, have one last thing, but you go, Matt. I, we'll go I'm around a, the circle. <laughs> no, there's more. I guess we have another round on this. We like to give. We here from the you know sage wisdom of our late twenties like to dispense little pearls of wisdom too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to, this is fun actually. Nobody's ever asked that question before. I believe. No, we got well, you know, out, we've right? actually we've we've uh, except for Matt. Matt opened the door a little bit. We've actually stuck to. 
into academic or employment-related advice. And I think there's a whole other realm of social advice that we should get into. But before we do that, I want to say this. Um, I'm very old-fashioned in the sense that I believe in the idea of a liberal education and the idea of learning to think. And so whatever you study, whether it's English, you know, uh, academic writing is terrible. I mean, professional writing for academia is terrible, terrible prose. So uh, yeah, I think what John says is right, um, that you won't really learn to write in a way that's important uh, for being a, a you know, star uh, journalist for The New Yorker or a novelist of note or a poet of note or, you know, what have you. Um, but you will learn to make an argument in lucid expository prose. And I think that's super important. I think learning to read uh, quickly and absorb the idea of what you're reading, super important skill. I think critical thinking, you know, super important skill. And that those, you know, like whatever the, you know, don't sweat it that you're not studying accounting. Like you can learn accounting later. You can't learn to think later. You actually can't learn to think in college either. You just hope to stumble into thinking. You hope to put yourself in the way of thinking, <laughs> you know, enough. You hope to put yourself in a situation where thinking is required to get out of the situation. So suddenly yep. you find yourself thinking. And, you hope to uh, catch it coming out of an alley and, and sort of wrap your hands around it from behind. And right. Exactly. It's, what Doug, it's what Douglas Adams said in So Long and Thanks for All the Fish about flying. Flying is the art of throwing yourself at the ground and missing. <laughs> and that like uh that this is what you know this is this is what you'll do because no one can teach you to be a writer right you you can you can learn certain mechanical things or something like that but you will learn to be a writer by reading and trying right but uh and no one can teach you to be a thinker either you'll learn to think by uh, by discovering that you're you're doing it one day and that this is the crucial thing i i mean and i God, I really believe this. And I realize that this idea is antiquated because it does not, you know, uh, fit in with current thinking about the economy. You know, I'd, I'd like to see more men and women of letters, uh, you, you know, who, who I guess, like, write op-eds for, for a living, you know, <laughs> who, who review books and then write them like John Updike did. Uh, and so I, much I, for Marcus then. Yeah, I realize that's not um, that's not probably in the cards for our society, but uh, you know, I believe that this like you got to learn to think. You have to learn to reason soundly. You have to learn to make an argument uh, in a lucid and convincing way. And I think you have to learn to um, uh, question thoughtfully and read and things like this. And you know, if you're doing that, don't worry about the job. That'll that'll take care of itself. Okay, social advice. Back to you, John. Uh, actually, it's it's more meta meta podcast related. So, but it's a good good place to put it before we get into the the deeper advice. Uh, Alexander, you know, a college freshman writing in to to ask our advice, and obviously, Alex, as with any advice that we on the Overthinking Podcast give you, you should always take this one hundred percent at face value and start implementing it immediately. That's crucial. But. Uh, I'm also curious because I, I didn't I honestly would not have thought that people uh, at, as young as college freshmen were were listening to us. Not that you should be self conscious about age, but Tell it, it makes me your cu- friends about overthinkingit.com. Please start start them early. We need to capture that eighteen to twenty five age bracket that is so so crucial for the marketing dollar. My 
my my question for the for the other podcast listeners is is anyone younger than than college freshman age listening to us? Uh, if so, please write in and say hey, and and let us know what what interests you about this podcast. Because I'm I'm just curious about who who we reach. If you're a minor, be careful about giving us your latitude and longitude without parental. Yeah, yes, please, please. <laughs> <laughs> That's, sure. Yeah, you know what? And if you're under 13, don't don't email any personally identifiable information at all because that is <laughs> against the law for us to collect it. So we mean people. We mean people high school age, essentially. Yes, 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 definitely. Like like 14 to 19 ish, whatever. This is just. Uh, but if yeah, you're younger and you want to use an alias, like your favorite fictional character, or, if you, about yourself. <laughs> or if you want to get your mom to call or yeah, something oh, like that. Oh, man, if you get your mom – I don't care who you are. If you get your mom to call us, you're awesome. <laughs> that's, actually, like that's a, um, that's a good contest. Uh, I have in my possession – uh, on the first anniversary of the site, the guys and one girl got together and bought me an overthinking it hoodie, a one of a kind overthinking it hoodie. But they got an extra large from one of these one of kind one of a kind things. And uh, you know, I'm a husky guy, but I'm not an extra large. So uh, you know, when I put my medium, uh, when I got my medium in the mail in exchange, they let me keep the extra large. So I have a one of a kind overthinking it hoodie. And I will send it to the first person who gets their mom to call 20eatlog01. You're going to give that away? That was a special gift, man. The extra large. I'm keeping my medium. I'm keeping mine. But But if you get your mom to call the podcast... Uh, I, I am willing to part with the extra with the extra uh, copy, the extra large copy of this uh, this thing that I have, a one of a kind or two of a kind, I suppose. Because uh, we all know that the extra large is going to fit your mom. Oh, 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 but it has to be a phone call. We will not accept email. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. I'm sorry, no, not email. Your mom has to call twenty eat log zero one. <laughs> And we, know, and we know what moms sound like. Don't call up pretending you're your mom because we can tell. How? Yeah, and don't, oh, and don't feel like your girlfriend podcast. or another female friend to do it because, no, we, we'll, we, we can, we'll know. You know what a we'll mom voice know. is like. There's no way to fake that. There's no technology. You know what? To you know what? In fact, like your mom has to tell us a childhood story about you <laughs> that proves <laughs> she's – That'll do it. That proves she's your mom or in some other way prove that – Prove that she's your mom, but yeah, no, it's not like you can get your girlfriend to call or something and have a uh, have a you know, uh, yeah, no, uh, like a old person voice or something like Unless that. Unless you're dating the mom of another overthinking it <laughs> reader, <laughs> <laughs> which means you don't have to figure out amongst yourselves who gets the hoodie. <laughs> you know what? You get two hoodies in that day. <laughs> You if you were dating the mom of another overthinking it listener, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. This is your lucky day. Do we want to? Anyone want to? Uh, anyone want to give? So learn to drink, Alexander. So you've gotten your uh, academic and career advice from us. Uh, learn to drink, says Belinky. Uh, Alexander, anyone else have uh, have some social advice for Alexander? I mean, just, just uh, one more thing. I think I think this is pretty obvious, but like, college is a good time to have a lot of sex. 
you know, I'm be- because I mean, I'm saying this for very practical reasons that when you graduate, you get a job and then there are like, you know, you can still have sex during the week, but it's, it is more difficult because you have to get up and be at work by like eight o'clock, eight thirty. you know? So, you know, whereas a college, you know, you don't have to go to class till maybe the afternoon. And even that, like you could skip. If there's like really good sex to be had. So, you know, take advantage of your flexible schedule to like test the flexibility of your co-classmates. There are also you could uh, you will be able to have sex in a number of locations, uh, the likes of which are probably not available to you afterwards. Like the backseat of a Volkswagen? Oh! <laughs> no, I mean, like, I mean, like, you should definitely, definitely break into a seminar room after hours <laughs> and do it with your girlfriend on the big table. You Not ab- if you're 13. Don't do that if you're 13. <laughs> you're going to go to jail. This is not good. <laughs> oh, this, is, this, is it. this is the podcast that sinks us. <laughs> But I mean, yeah, that Blinky's point and, and Rather's point is definitely true. As as has been observed by people, not just me, on the internet, ninety percent of sex is logistics, just like getting getting to the right place at the right time. And in college, everyone you know and could possibly have sex with lives within like six blocks of each other. So really, the opportunities to coordinate will never be easier at any point in your life. Seriously, it's like opportunities to walk people home or just show up at people's places with. Uh, six packs of beer, which you cannot legally purchase yet, of course, being being under twenty one. But you know, you know what I mean. Uh, yeah, right. seriously, go for it. And if you don't have sex in college, don't feel bad about it, and don't feel like it makes you worse as a person or any of that stuff. No, it, it does. Get out it does make you worse as a person. Uh, you know, it, you know, Matt, it doesn't, and I will fight you. I will. such a thing. I will. You know, there is a it's, there is a freaking. There's a freaking uh, Ultimate Fighting Studio like three blocks from my house. We can go sign a release form and I will fight you. <laughs> you mean, when you say don't have sex in college and don't feel bad, you mean if you don't have sex on campus? Because, I'm not yeah, going to fight I you mean, because hey, you're yeah. a black belt in jiu-jitsu, so I'm not going to fight you. <laughs> I agree with you there. I mean, if you don't have sex on campus, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. No, no. Nah, just saying, you know, your body is your own thing, and you shouldn't let people on the internet make you feel bad about yourself, because that's going to be a self-defeating prop- uh, the proposition. Other, yeah, the other thing, it's not just logistics. It's that, like, you have this huge age cohort of eligible eligible partners who, by and large, have very few obligations in life. Right, <laughs> other than getting up on your Johnson. <laughs> yeah, that's what you should say all the time. <laughs> or, or to be fair, getting up on your lady parts because we are a a, a coeducational. Yeah, podcast. sorry. Oh, sorry. I was I was speaking specifically to Alexander. Oh, oh yes, yes, yes. Good point. Good point. Good point. Yeah, no, but yeah, no, no, no. All up on your Johnson or all up on all up on your lady business. Like it's all you know. It's all good. Um, so if you, if you guys are out there, if I can get 10 people who will help me fight John Parrish, I might fight him. But I can't fight him by myself. <laughs> so if there's anybody out here who wants my side of this thing that's okay to not have sex in college and want to get my back, leave, leave, put it down in the comments and we'll round up a posse. And at least at the very least, I won't get out in a chokehold yeah, in the I mean, first like, know, minute and a half. If, like, if someone wants to help you fight John in the sense that they hold all of his limbs down while you <laughs> punch him. Maybe they tie him to a, a tree and then they have a car. And I drive the car. 
That's sorry, John. We don't we don't mean to be. No, no, it's just it's that fine. you're. It's just that you're badass. I mean, and I, I, I don't want to do too much to dispel the myth that it'll take uh, that it'll take ten people to take me down because I mean that's the kind of thing I want to seed onto the internet. It might it might come in useful later. Right, absolutely. <laughs> um, so uh, Alexander, here's my advice: like there is, you know, it's not like high school, but there is like a, a social. There's a pecking order in college, especially if you go to a school that has that kind of old-fashioned like Greek life thing or you know sororities and whatever you know big football school or something like that um and remember now that now that you're a big freshman remember how trivial high school the you know social pecking order of high school seemed at the time uh the social pecking order of college is exactly that trivial Right. It's not any more meaningful because you're older. So, you know, do your best to meet a wide, wide variety of people, people who are into different things, who are interested in different things, who are, uh, you know, who are just interesting. Get people to tell you about uh, what they study or what they're in, you know, what, what turns them on, what they're interested in, what, uh, you know, really fascinates them. Like, you know, take the opportunity because you have this, um, though, though as a listener to our podcast, you are no doubt at the top of your class, uh, you have this whole group of highly motivated, uh, potentially many of them very smart people, you know, and that's, that's the, the greatest asset. I mean, that's the, that's the thing you can learn a whole hell of a lot from. Don't spend too much time on Facebook. Uh, if you still have, if you, if you still have, what'd you say, Pete? Oh, try to eat reasonably well. Uh, Like if you take care of your body in college, you'll, even if you just like hold steady, you like move up considerably relative to your peers. You don't want to be the person who's, you know, going through college and tearing themselves down physically because it'll suck. I mean, if you gain a pound or two, right? Like, yeah, don't, don't, don't sweat the small stuff, but yeah, no, absolutely. Like you don't become a reading machine. You don't cease to be a human with like a need to exercise, you know? I'm just saying don't have like three cheeseburgers and two non-diet Cokes in one sitting. If you can have, uh, (laughs) if you can actually get all your exercise though, by having sex, that would be, that would be the most awesome, that would be the most awesome thing. All I'm saying, Alexander, is you peaked at 17, and it's a long, slow decline. Uh, you know? Wow, now, oh, now I have to be the one who steps in and is like, no, no, that's... No, it's, that's it's like a roller coaster. Like, getting to the top is, like, where the fun begins, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, in the real world, it's better than college. That's the the biggest the biggest thing that that uh, people don't really get. Is yes, that the real yeah, world. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And as a college educated person, especially a smart one who reads our uh, our blog, like there's um, really there's nothing in the world that you kind of can't. Uh, uh, there's nothing in the world that you can't do. Like stupid people make it in life. You know, have totally okay lives, and you. You, Alexander, uh, you have many, many great things coming to you. Ah, to be where you are now. <laughs> I wish that I do what I know now. All right. Is there any time? Is there any? Is there any time to overthink uh, pop culture? <laughs> yeah, pop culture. <laughs> 
Now Let's get the introductions out of the way. Yeah, right. Now that the introduction is out of the way and three quarters of the podcast is over, let's <laughs> let's get to overthinking the. Oh, and we threw out a challenge to your mom. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not all I threw out to your mom. Uh, okay, up this weekend. Who saw it? I did. I did. Capsule reviews. Uh, great. Not as good as Wally. Uh, I would say really good, really, 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 really sad at times. Very sad at times. Like everybody was crying sad. Oh, yeah. It definitely had its moments of, of poignance. Yeah. The first, the first wow. 20 minutes or so yeah. or 15 or 20 minutes of the movie by itself would be one of the best short films I've ever seen uh, and is deeply, deeply affecting. Um, the rest of it is a little bit more standard and disposable, but it's still very good. Yeah, w- without it's basically, spoiling, oh yeah, without spoiling too much, yeah, it does slide into by the end a little bit of the of the formulaic, and uh, the old guy who I know you you've seen that in the, in the previews, uh, not to spoil it too much, but he basically becomes something of an action hero, which uh, defies the uh, you know suspension of disbelief. A little bit. I'm not quite saying like he's to the level of like you know the guys in the GI Joe new GI Joe movie trailer jumping around. Flying house though, not really. The old old guy. It's it's marginally about that, but the old guy uh, has the opportunity to kick some butt. You know, the house represents society. No, it doesn't. It represents something very obvious. (laughs) (laughs) Spoiler: This movie is basically Paradise Lost meets The Rundown meets Pokemon the Movie 2000. So (laughs) I'll leave you with that. (laughs) Holy crap! It is. You just—I just blew your mind, didn't I, Mark? Because that's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. That's that's what you do, Pete. You blow my mind. Oh, Alexander, (laughs) read Paradise Lost as many times as possible because it is the unsurpassed and unsurpassable pinnacle of literature in any language written by anyone ever. Yeah. Um, I thought thought that was. uh, I thought that was Paradise. Oh, that is Paradise Lost. I was about to say. I was thinking something else. Oh, that was Paradise by the Dashboard Light. Yeah. <laughs> it's just as epic in its own way. <laughs> right. That's, that's perhaps the, the unsurpassed and unsurpassable pinnacle of rock produced by... <laughs> uh, it's a great karaoke song as well. Yeah. Hey, um, I, I don't... Uh, you know, uh, before we you know, move on away from... Uh, uh, we're not moving away from up anytime soon. What am I kidding? Um, hey, you know what guys I want to talk about that we have a lot of fun talking about? I want to talk about race. Race is awesome. Hey, I love yes. race. Oh my goodness, Mark, are you are you a member of a minority ethnic group in America? Yeah, he's hey, Colombian. Hey, hey, rather, it's <laughs> funny you mentioned that. I happen to be of Asian American descent. <laughs> Why might not descent? be able to tell that? Why did you come down? Where did you come down from? Is that <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> now, Asian American, Mark, isn't that a little too vague? Aren't you saying that all Asians are the same? Because like the Asians are American, that's not that's <laughs> racist. Isn't it? Doesn't Asia encompass, uh, you know, Japan and India and Russia and Turkey and Turkey, Afghanistan, Afghanistan, many places. Anyway, okay. What I'm getting at here Cambodia. is that um, <laughs> Indonesia, guys. Try to, about, try to talk about a serious issue of race. Gosh. Sorry. Okay. Go on. Okay. All right. So uh, I think a lot of I think a lot of people saw the previews for Up and maybe even saw the movie itself without realizing that the protagonist, no, one of the the little kid, the fat little uh, <laughs> the fat little Boy Scout kid, is in fact an Asian American kid. Um, yeah. 
Oh, my girlfriend he? who saw it recognized this immediately um, because of the um, don't laugh because of the eyes and the eyebrows and the facial shape. Um, right. But it was revealed. Which are not terribly picture. racist, but are fairly suggestive. I mean, they they don't they're not like he's not like super slanty eyed or anything. It's subtle. No, no, but it's no, no, there. no. It's 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 a, yeah, it's subtle and it's a realistic, uh, fairly realistic. I mean, when uh, I look at you, Mark, I can tell you're Asian. I hate to break it to you, uh, <laughs> and that's <What>? not racist. <laughs> music, so. Trying to hide it all this time, <laughs> except for when I'm, you know, except for when I'm blabbing about it yeah, on the podcast. Except when you're bringing it up all the time. Yeah. <laughs> no. um, anyway, the long long story short is that this was uh, there was some discussion on the interblogs um, whether that uh, to wrap it up though the, the reason why we know the characterization because was the Pixar animators came out and specifically said that the character was modeled after a Korean American member of the Pixar staff. Oh. So that's how we know that. Um, uh, the, what was kind of being uh, a couple of ideas were being tossed around the interwebs about whether uh, it was an issue that the fact that this was you know they kind of you know made the character Asian but there's nothing Asian about the person and therefore like you know Pixar is like uh, avoiding an opportunity to talk about race or something I don't know um, uh, that, that's basically it actually so I don't know if the panel had any thoughts about uh, that's freaking the, the garbage. I've, this, I, I've made my opinion on this blog very clear on this matter, which is that that person and that character is a fully realized character, and there's everything that they need to be a character. And they look Asian, and so they're Asian. Like, it's a kid who grew up in the city, you know, and, like, he has his own backstory. He has his own stuff. But what the – is he supposed to be start quoting the, the – the, like, the, uh, the Analects or something? Like, how are we supposed to know? Is he supposed to speak with a thicker accent? Is he supposed to not like Boy Scouting? Yeah. I mean, would, wouldn't, I'm not be more, I'm not wouldn't it be about more this. racist? to make him like you know more obviously asian to to keep talking about how much he loves kimchi you know every five minutes <laughs> all right is it I like guess... not asian that he's obese you know like <laughs> i mean I don't know. i'm not i'm not disagreeing with you mark i'm disagreeing with those people who insist that like we must no. maintain that like that there are a set that that race is essentialist right and that there's something that is you know it, it, un- inseparable from a human being's identity that is associated with race that you cannot nobody can can vary from it everybody needs to fit this particular type right there needs to be something characteristic of it and and your own individual experiences are not trump over them at all times so i, I, I would i would agree with that entirely pete and i would i would in fact take it one point farther and start stepping back into the other territory and say that more progress is made on racial issues by I would say, at least in popular culture, by not making it by not making every piece that incorporates elements of race a message picture, as it mm. were. Like yeah. as an example, I've I've found the I've found that the you know the the always touchy subject of interracial romance in films has been has been better advanced, at least in my eyes, by movies that don't that aren't centrally about the interracialness of the romance and that just have it as an aspect in, in service to some larger plot. I would give as an example uh, Boiler Room, in which uh, Giovanni Ribisi and I forget the actor, is it Neil Long who plays the receptionist oh, that he dates? Oh, I don't remember off the top of my head, but it is, gonna, it is, is it a good call though? I remember that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to IMDb. I, I, believe, I believe it is Neil Long. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they, they date and that's that's clearly an interracial romance, but not a lot. Not yes, a lot yes. is made of it, and of course, uh, and compare that to uh, the movie O, like that sort of modern <laughs> remake of Othello, which came out the same year with uh, with Julia Stiles and uh, and Mackay Pfeiffer, I believe, and was absolutely terrible. It was it was irredeemably horrible, uh, and I I don't know that the 
those may be bad examples. I'm kind of cherry picking there, and that one's a really good movie and one's a really terrible movie. But I've I've always been more more impressed by movies that include interracial romance or other elements like that, sort of without commenting on them, without shining the spotlight on them and saying, look how special we are. Because that's a very poor storytelling technique, to shine a spotlight on anything and say, look at how special this is. Yeah. No, that's very, very true. I found a lot of press related to Up that basically said, this movie is really good. Uh, Pixar's movies are great. We kind of wish that Pixar's movies started getting bad so that we could say bad things about them. With that in mind... How come the lead in this movie isn't a woman? How come there aren't more minorities who are in the leads of Pixar movies? And yes, I know there's a minority who's a lead in this movie, but I still want to make this criticism, so let me, you know, use the true Scotsman fallacy. You know what I mean? Like, the, I read about that today, the, the true Scotsman fallacy, which would be like, uh, um, uh, what was a good example for it? Um, I, I, I know this one, Pete. I can do Yeah, you, you, you want to pick it up? You wanna, okay, well, I mean, the. the pick it up. Uh, it was, I heard about it related to that abortion. <laughs> I want to talk about that. So, well, I mean, for, I mean, so you, for folks, you, you come up with a good example. For folks who don't know what it is, the, the no true Scotsman fallacy is it's an, like the example is some hypothetical dialogue. You know, if you, you with your stodgy old uncle and your uncle says, you know, you know, no Scotsman puts, you know, cinnamon on his oatmeal or something like that. And you say, well, no, my, you know, my coworker Jeff is Scottish and he puts Scot- uh, cinnamon on his oatmeal. And then he says, well, but no true Scotsman puts cinnamon on his oatmeal. It's, it's moving the goalposts. It's, it's redefining the argument. So like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm gradually narrowing the, the field of what I'm defending so that your criticisms are no longer valid right it's uh, like it, wait, yeah it's making you know no the the set of people who agree with me are the set of people who uh, you know who my argument references right it's mm. it's it's making it's making your terms increasingly more specific so that you that you have a so that you have a defensible position in other words it's 90 percent of what happens on the internet in in comment threads yeah 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 <laughs> Which are always moving targets. First, See, I think, yeah. first, I mean, yeah, the number of people who write first on your average YouTube video or Perez Hilton uh, post, you know, it's always moving target. Who really is first? You know, you know, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's like we're all first, man. It's like the world is like a sphere, man, and like nobody's in the front of a circle, dude. If it was really a sphere, then the people in the middle would not be first, right? Unless you are measuring like distance from distance the from the middle, right? Yeah, <laughs> which would be a great way of <laughs> Okay, I'm, I'm going to rescue from this tangent before we get too far into the middle of. But this. wait, but what if it's an, a Mobius strip? <laughs> Let's go into more detail about this. Say that you have two people. You can go ahead and interrupt me at any time, Mark. Say you have two people on a Mobius strip. Hey, I want to hear where going to go. I want to hear where it's going to go. <laughs> okay, what if so you trace have, the circle onto the surface of a sphere? Hey, guys, I want to talk about race, guys. Come on. Let's not talk about race. All right, all right, all right. Fair enough. Let's have a a race. Let's have a race right now. First. (laughs) Good one. Very nice. Very good job. Yeah. I guess, I don't know. Like the, I just, I, I found it to be an interesting thing, you know, because, you know, as you know, that there are so few Asian Americans in lead roles in popular culture. And typically when they are, it's about them being Asian American. Right. And that to see, you know, this basically this Asian American character casually slipped into uh, a, a, this major major motion picture, um, I found to be, uh, you know, definitely a very interesting choice mm. on Pixar's part. Let's put it that way. 
you know, I, yeah. I would I would I would say that I would give him credit credit for doing so. But on the other on the other hand, though, I mean, something to think about as well is right this this depiction of others of the other in in in, in pop culture, right? And often, you know, minorities are you know you, you make a character a minority because that's the lazy way of because you need to make that person an other, right? Yeah, and because the story is about this person is an other, this person is a terrorist. This person, oh, really? I think, is, like I think about your average society. I, I think about when I see minorities, I I think of like commercials or you know your average Nickelodeon show where there's one African American friend and one Asian friend, you know, predictably in any clique of girls or in any you know group of housewives talking about the merit of you know palm olive soap or something like that. So I, you know, I think that like, I think that, that, uh, I, I, you know, I think that I, I see when I see it, it's not necessarily to make them like the bad terrorist guy. It's what I see far often is a kind of tokenism that I think is truly offensive. Well, I I think that the other is definitely, uh, one way of describing it, but the, the other is not always a bad thing either. It's not always negative. Because Mark took me to task for this when I was talking about Harold and Kumar go to White Castle, which I thought was a really great movie about like recon- trying to overcome and not overcome, but trying to sort of like reconcile um, you know cultural narrative with live circumstance, right? And of course, there is a lot of otherizing that's in it. And you talk about the model minority and all this stuff. Um, well, first of all, if you watch Nickelodeon shows nowadays, are also I mean, maybe Disney Channel is more like that, but Nickelodeon, you've got like, um, oh no, Disney Channel. Sorry, I'm getting them backwards. That's that's so Raven is on Disney Channel, right? Um, yes. Got and you've got uh, Dora the Explorer, and even like what? Um, uh, even uh, Yo Gabba Gabba has a fairly diverse uh, cast on it as well. Right. Bismarck. Well, like going back anyway, as far as like correct. Sesame Street, as far as the, the early seasons of Sesame Street, there were all kinds of of different minorities on Sesame Street, and it made sense because they were in this. Uh, it, it didn't feel like a stretch because Sesame Street originally was this like really pulling no punches urban street, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, and a lot of the, the a lot of the kind of the touchy feeliness and the the quote unquote appropriateness came later. Mm. Uh, but like, I read a review of they released some of the early episodes of Sesame Street on DVD, and I I uh, when I say they, I hate people who say they. Uh, so I hate myself. When Children's Television Workshop uh, released right several of the episodes of, of Sesame Street on DVD, the the reviews were all like, "It's great, but don't show it to your kids." Like Oscar the Grouch is a freaking, you know, is really antisocial and is like probably bipolar. And Cookie Monster is like a freaking junkie all the time <laughs> for for cookies, you know. Well, they're and, they're like kids, is what they are. Yeah, they're, they're children, you know. But they're less. I mean, do you think, Matt? I and I know. I don't know if I'm giving too much away here, but you interned for a while for the children's television workshop. Yeah, and so, I, I like, did. do you think that pre- the the depiction of children has grown progressively more idealized over time? I mean, I know that um, the writers for children's workshop, a lot of the writers actually do have like you know advanced degrees, master's degrees, and even PhDs in child psychology. Uh, they have a whole team of child psychologists that they consult with. Uh, that led to decisions such as, um, if you recall back in the day, the joke with Mr. Snuffleupagus is that. 
everyone thought he was the imaginary friend of Big Bird because whenever Big Bird would try to get someone to come in and see him, Mr. Snuffleupagus would get uh, shy and run away. And then Big Bird would be like, but he was just here, honest. And they'd be like, oh, Big Bird, with your crazy imagination. And they actually stopped this and, and decided that there would be an episode where Mr. Snuffleupagus was revealed as a real person because there were all these reports coming in of children that were molested and were afraid to tell adults because they didn't think that they would be, be believed by the adults. That, and, and this was which really of course the never happens, which is never a real experience. <laughs> and, and so, I mean, they they had this episode, and I mean, you can see it online where um, where everyone in the neighborhood comes in, sees Mister Selfless, and then apologizes to Big Bird for not believing Big Bird when Big Bird tried to tell them that this was real. So, I mean, Aww. I think that that it, it, I'm, I mean, I'm I'm pretty sure if you go back and look at the early writers of Sesame Street, they probably knew a thing or two about kids, but they probably weren't experts in child psychology. I mean, the, the field of child psychology probably wasn't as nearly developed back in the 60s as it was today. So, I mean, you know, everything's become, you know, much more carefully thought out, every word. It's like a, everything gets run by a focus group and uh, they yeah, test it. Yeah, I mean, not, 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 a, not focus a focus group. group it, yeah, because what would the focus group do? They would, you know, pick their nose and, you know, throw Cheerios at the screen. But, That's uh, not entirely fair because the original Sesame Street was... He- Heavily, heavily, ex- like it was experiment. It was run through laboratories and testing groups and everything. I mean, it. Oh, did they? Street. They talk about it a lot in uh, the Tipping Point, I think, where Sesame Street is an engineered show that is largely engineered by like education scientists. Really? Okay. Oh, well, then, then yeah. I apologize. Yeah, but, also, to the early- yeah, but it's also that was about the the early uh, the early. Sesame Streets were about uh, depicting a social reality, you know, and, and kind of having kids who were maybe urban kids who didn't see themselves represented in this kind of idealized suburban or even like countryside, you know, kids playing in fields. Rogers. Yeah, well, right, exactly, kind of, kind of thing. Uh, having a representational space where those kids could see their own, you know, kind of neighborhood. Mm. Uh, uh, like a like a sort of New York style uh, urban neighborhood, they could see it um, depicted on television and kind of uh, kind of see a representational space where they or someone like them was represented on TV. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, cool. yeah, I, I, I think that I'd be very curious to see those early episodes of Sesame Street to see how inappropriate for children we're talking. I do think that people are way too sensitive now to you know to shield kids from these things that i you know i think that they're they're perfectly capable of um you know so, somehow i doubt that i'm gonna find the early episodes of sesame street to not be appropriate for children but it's just that the standards of what's appropriate for children has become so that that bar has been risen raised <laughs> sorry narrowed narrowed yes i don't know I would it's, say it's that been, yeah. the bar has been changed in certain ways it's a different bar Mm-hmm. Well, the idea, I mean, I think the idea that, you know, we have to engineer children to the, like, the greatest, you know, that that it's not okay just for kids to be, you know, that they have to be kind of engineered and optimized to the to the greatest kind of optimization that's possible is, mm. you know, is a is a more and more prevalent idea. And I'll bet, I mean, I'll bet you're seeing, I'll bet if, if you were a reader of the mommy blogs, which I am not, uh, I'll <laughs> bet you would see... A reaction against that these days. I would hope so. I mean, pro- I, I, I would hope that it would be there. I, I think it's the kind of thing where you can try to optimize certain things, but I mean, 
just teach them math. <laughs> you know, like, like, like there's doing, we're doing so poorly at so many basic right, things. Exactly. Don't that, like, talk to them about their fucking feelings. Right. Yeah, Don't, yeah. uh, Oh wait. So oh, shoot. I shouldn't no. say that on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we try to keep it PG 13 here. Uh, no. Yeah. Just teach them math, you know, don't teach them <laughs> reading. Don't you? No, I'm sorry. I'm. I'm. No, I just mean that. Like, there's so many things that are being done so poorly that you know, controlling the different social impetuses that they come across seems to be a poor substitute for doing the less sexy, like less exciting things that would actually make like our future generations, you know, more competitive and in the way that we actually want to to optimize things. Scientists, we need scientists, right? Like, we need engineers, and you know. Uh, I mean, sorry to all the en- English majors out there, but you're probably not engineering the economic recovery, right? It's, you know, you're probably, no, <laughs> it's probably you know, your, t- yeah. yeah. I'm just saying you want to give people a chance and you want to give people the tools that they can use from education. I mean, I think all, most of us here who are English majors at one point or another, we're pretty good at math. You know, like we worked really hard at it. Yeah, no, but, um, uh, okay. Yeah, fair point. But I'm, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm, you know, you know what I'm saying though. It's just, it's not like the primacy of math or English or any of the other stuff. But it is, it is definitely a case of what makes our. Ch- if we're trying to optimize our kids because there's a sense that we need to make them better and stronger than when we did previously, well, can we identify what it is that they're weak at before we decide what it is that we need to do to fix them? And I don't think that the answer is, um, you know, well, they come across too many people who frown at them. You know, or like too many people who say no to them, and that's the problem. That's that's why we feel dissatisfied with the way that our children are being yeah, brought right, up. Yeah, right, right, exactly. They every, too every, much unhappiness. Every encounter you know? is not engineered to you know uh, confer the maximum amount of self-esteem on the yeah. kids. And I mean, I hate to break it to you, but that sort of stuff that really helps your kids. I mean, like the the real the real sort of social maturation that kids go through is much more a product of their peers than their parents. Um, at least that's what I've heard uh, and read in various places. Um, that like you can try to make your kid into a specific sort of person, but you know they're going to get a lot of their learning from just interacting with other human beings a lot more than from you know what you want them to learn. And what you tough, want them that to must eat. be a tough thing about being a parent. Like you can't, yeah. you know, you, there's very little good that you can do, but there's a great deal of harm. Just like get them a decent bedtime and don't smack them around too much. You know, like get them some decent food and like try to keep them safe and dry when it's raining outside. You know, and love them. (laughs) And and, you know, when they eating habits you instill in them now will stick with them for a while. So if you get them started on good, healthy food now, uh, yeah, that's really that. That really helps. We're we're giving a lot of advice for all stages of the life cycle (laughs) in this podcast. And we do Medicare. Reimbursement through a hospital. The way they get care reimbursement taken care of is to make sure that you're at the right kind of institution because not only you should be recovery. looking for in retirement homes. Right, seniors do crossword puzzles. They keep your mind sharp. It's improving. <laughs> the scooter store is a ripoff. You know, you want to go with something you have a personal recommendation for because you need to get that scooter serviced, and they're not going to be there to help you out when you need them. <laughs> Wait, was, this, was a scooter for young people or old, like the, the like the uh, the rascal kind of thing for old folks or like? Uh, uh, I think more children should ride like, rascals. I think they're oh, hilarious. Both, really. <laughs> <laughs> for all, okay, so the scooter things for all all age demographics. I guess hipsters, the young hipsters ride ride uh, like Vespas, right? Yeah, we should get twelve year olds wearing skinny jeans and riding around on rascals. No, that's that's not that is not advice that I will dispense with. This. There's a question I want to ask. Actually, going back to this whole you know focus grouping thing about Sesame Street, uh, do you guys know or can speculate to what extent they do that for Pixar movies? 
Oh what, gosh. Whether whether Fantastic. right whether Pixar movies are a product of appropriateness culture. Or not even or a purpose when, culture, just, you know, focus grouped and, you know, there's this kind of, like, engineered quality. Well, to everything. Them. I mean, every movie is focus grouped. I mean, test, test uh, screenings sure. and things like this. But, I, mean, I think Sesame Street is a unique example of how, uh, you know, kind of, you know, engineered for kids the movie is, right? Oh, hold on. Let me, let me read you something, okay? Um, let's see. The edited Toy Story, and this is from a book called Making It Fly. Uh, and I don't know what it is, but I just Googled it at random. And this is about Toy Story. So the edited Toy Story was due to Randy Newman and Gary Ridstrom by late September for their f- final work on the score and sound design, respectively. A test audience at a theater near Anaheim in late July indicated the need for last-minute tweaks, which added further pressure to the already frenetic final weeks. The audience reacted flatly to the film's opening scenes, leading Lasseter to resolve to punch the scenes up. And the film at that time ended with an exterior shot of Andy's house and the sound of a puppy. Michael Eisner, who attended the screening, told Lasseter afterward that the film needed to end with a shot of Woody and Buzz together, reacting to news of the puppy. Uh, Pixar's future was now tied to a date. Um, the response cards from the test audience were encouraging, but the ratings weren't at the top of the scale. So yeah, I mean, this is the very first Pixar movie, and it's still under Michael Eisner. Um, but I mean, there's already extensive focus, focus grouping test audiences. You know, they, they have metrics, um, you know, all this other stuff. So I would be really surprised if they didn't do that now. Um, you know, I, I also don't think it's necessarily bad to like. No, 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 no. I was, I wasn't saying that would be a bad thing either. It's just, you know, like, I think specifically because that, you know, what I was thinking more specifically was how Pixar movies are, you know, uh, designed specifically to appeal for kids, yeah. right? Like actually, some- the book is actually called "The Pixar Touch: The Making of a Company" by David A. Price. Um, so if you want to read about Pixar, you can uh, you can ch- pick up that book, or you can look at it on Google Book Search, which I just did, and read pretty much the whole thing for free, which doesn't seem right. But what yeah, are you going to do? Google. And, it's an overthinker's best friend. I also think it's a, it's a bad thing on the other side of the coin when the creators don't have to pay attention to anyone's notes because then you get like a Star Wars Episode One or mm-hmm. a, or like a King Kong, you know, like movies from from talented people who probably should have like been forced to take some notes. Mm. Yeah, but there's, I mean, there, for everything like that, there's a counterexample. Like The Simpsons, for example, doesn't get network notes. And it did not get network notes from the very beginning when James Brooks was uh, kind of co-showrunner with Matt Groening. And, uh, you know, it was like, hey, I'm James Brooks. You don't give me notes, right? Like, and, that, and that turned out to be good for The Simpsons. Like that creative freedom turned out to be like a really – a really great thing, and it could have gotten all foxified and you know scariest police chases, and it di- and it didn't. Right. I mean, it's like saying like you know like the people who try to please everyone all the time and don't take risks, right? Then you're never going to create anything interesting that way. Mm. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's wrap up. I wanna I wanna before we go, I wanna pimp out uh, a couple things about overthinking it. Um, did you know that, and I promise not to do this, not to do this very often, but, uh, you know, did you know that we are on the Twitters? You can follow us at overtweeting it, uh, on the Twitters. That's twitter.com slash overtweeting it. There's also a link from the homepage. Uh, we have a Facebook page also. And I think if you search for that, you can find it where it's also linked from the, the, uh, site. If you have a Kindle, you can subscribe to get, uh, overthinking it on your Kindle. Ooh, I think that's cool. Yeah, I think that's awesome. And our, you know, substantial original article every weekday uh, will be delivered to your Kindle. That's, I mean, I don't know. I think that's pretty cool. That uh, is better sense. than a kick to the face by a drunken horse. I will tell you. That. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, um, that, and that guy knows. That guy yeah. knows. <laughs> Let me tell you. 
And Fight also, uh, I, and I promise not to do this very often, but uh, I would like to ask that if you enjoy uh, this site and if you enjoy the podcast, that you consider uh, supporting us, not just with your, your readership and listenership, but also with your cash money. Uh, because, you know, it, it does cost some money to uh, host the site on the internet, and uh, none of us make anything. Our, our ad revenue... Um, barely covers our our hosting costs. So, you know, we're doing it because we love it. We love the topics that we're talking about. We love the, the listeners and the readers that we are developing. Um, but, you know, if we had a little breathing room financially, we could do some other stuff, too. We could do some cooler things. And so, you know, if it's something that you care about, uh, you can make a donation of cash money uh, on the website. There's a little PayPal donate button. That's one way to do that. Or there's an Amazon affiliate link that's uh, always in the sidebar or there's one in the latest open thread. Maybe I should make that more prominent. Uh, and you could use that. Or if you like any of our fine, fine T-shirts, including the <laughs> I liked bacon before it was cool, or the I am so going to blog about this, uh, mm-hmm. or the young people, hot people, Venn diagram, where the intersection is... I don't like that one very much. <laughs> <laughs> We've established that I'm not cool and that everybody's going to beat me up, so whatever. It is Or uh, the slightly cryptic, but I think hilarious... Uh, shirt about society, about people who talk about society, where uh, the shirt says, I say this as a Durkheimian, not as an angry teenager. There are some, there are some great uh, <laughs> shirts. They're in, a little, they're in a little shirt carousel on the, uh, on the, in the, the sidebar of the site. You know, if you see something you like, if you get that, that is something else where we make a, you know, a buck or two uh, off of that. And so thank you very much. Uh, if you if you happen to support us, we're extremely grateful. Uh, but if you just support us by listening uh, or reading, we're grateful too. And hope you will always, always, always uh, come and find us at www.overthinkingit.com, the site that subjects the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it, it probably, probably doesn't deserve. I will fight you. I will do it right now. <laughs>